back, everyone. This is The Changelog, where our members support a blog, podcast, and weekly email covering what's fresh and what's new in open source. Check out the blog at thechangelog.com, our past shows at 5x5.tv slash changelog. And subscribe to The Changelog Weekly. It's our weekly email covering everything that hits our open source radar. You can subscribe at thechangelog.com slash weekly. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stukoviak, as well as our managing editor today, uh, Jared Santo. Jared, say hello. Hey, how you doing? It's it's good to have you on the show again. It's been, what, a couple couple shows since yeah, you've been I'm back? glad to be here as always. Excited yeah. about our guest today. Yeah, me too, me too. And uh, uh, this is episode 108, and today's show is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Uh, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider. They're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy ways to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in literally 55 seconds. That's a marketing thing, but it's also the truth. Literally 55 seconds. And uh, pricing plans start at only 5 bucks per month. You get half a gig of RAM, 20 gigs of SSD drive space, one CPU, and one terabyte of transfer. With the recent public launch, if you go back a couple shows and listen to episode 105, uh, John O'Nolan was on here talking about Ghost and his blogging platform. So they just uh, did a public launch of Ghost, and DigitalOcean is happy to tell you all that uh, they have an official one-click Ghost image. You can literally go and click, and boom, you got Ghost on an SSD drive uh, in the cloud. So they, uh, that was created by the makers of Ghost, so thanks to Hannah for that. You can get a new Ghost blog up and running in literally 55 seconds. Try it out. Uh, use our promo code the changelog October to save ten bucks. Go to the uh, go to their website digitalocean.com and get started today. So uh, excited to have our guest on today, Katrina Owen. She's an instructor at Jumpstart Lab and maker of Exorcism. Got that pronunciation right? Which we hope to learn quite a bit about on this show today. So Katrina, without further ado, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, where where do we begin with you? I, I mean, I feel like we kind of know you from a few blog posts and a few talks and the, the work you do in the community, but, you know, tell us a bit about yourself. What's the backstory on you? So, I, I'm an accidental developer. I actually started out in biology a few years ago. Wow. And got a degree in genetics and absolutely hated the idea of working in a lab. So, before I even got ever got a job... With my genetics degree, I started uh, helping people out with their websites and kind of messing around with a little bit of a little bit of PHP mostly at first, uh, and then finally I just knocked on someone's door and said, "Hey, would you give me a job?" And they did. So you studied genetics, which I'm sure is a deep subject, right? I mean, that's DNA, right? But, right. Uh, and, and other things, I'm sure. I'm, I'm trust me, I'm not first, and I'll have a degree in that, but. So you're an accidental. Is this recent? How long have you been programming? About six years. Okay. Um, yeah, I graduated from university in, I guess, 2006 and then – or 2006, 2007, somewhere around there. And I think I got my first job as a programmer in 2000, late 2007. Wow. And, and from what I understand um, – you. You just came here to the U.S. So you live in Denver, so we, we kind of mentioned in the intro that you're an instructor, which, I mean, that's pretty freaking neat that you're an instructor six years later after learning the program. But And Jumpstart is uh, is not you know just anybody. They're really well-respected, so, I mean, that's cool. Jumpstart is 
awesome. Jumpstart Lab does amazing Ruby training, Rails training, that sort of thing, some JavaScript. Uh, they're starting to work on some iOS stuff and um, ops code stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of really interesting things going on with them. So you got out of uh, genetics because you didn't want to work at a lab. And Not- here I am. <laughs> Jumpstart Lab. <laughs> Good Cue uh, irony. Yeah. Touché. Nice. I was thinking, I mean, because I, I guess, so what was it about the lab or a lab that kind of turned you off and what ultimately is, uh, I, I guess, transpires back to that from what you do as a developer? So the lab work during college is probably not very similar to the lab work that you would do in an actual lab, um, but it's very repetitive, lots of waiting, lots of just kind of turning a machine on and waiting for four hours for something to replicate and then um, looking at it in some way. Sounds and like that didn't... video rendering or something, doesn't it, Jared? Yeah. Sounds like a bad test suite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right? And, and so I just couldn't bear the thought of, of doing that. Um, I wanted to be a lot more hands-on, a lot more like problem-solving on a daily basis rather than spending several years with a hypothesis and trying to make observations that might prove it right or wrong. And then what's the ultimate product of doing all that? Like, is it just a yes or a no, I was right or wrong? Is there any like real world change? Oh, yeah. You cure cancer and you... Oh, that's, clone, that's no big deal, right? Clone people and stuff. You right. know, it's, it's pretty awesome in theory. So let's go back to you knocked on someone's door and said, give me a job, and they did. Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you elaborate on that? Sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, so my uh, my resume basically was a bunch of, like, I helped people do this, and I built that. And it's basically, you know, not very impressive. But then it said, and I have a degree in genetics. Mm. And the CTO looked at it and said, you must be pretty smart. So I got the job. Uh, and at first, all I really was going to do was help them f- – test stuff and write little scripts and debug and whatever. But within a very short time, I was uh, writing production code. So I think it took about three months before I was really productive. Um, Absolutely dangerous. Like, uh, I wouldn't wanted to have me as the only developer, but on a team, a team of smart people, um, they absolutely kept me, kept me busy. And I was um, producing content and being, being useful. You had some pretty good guidance then. Getting I did, started. yeah, yeah. And so that's that's a good place to start from. And then now you're in the same position now with which we'll talk here in a bit more in detail. But exorcism, it's really about that uh, that crux there, which is you know learning, um, you know writing code, practicing, and then ultimately the other side of that, which is code reviews and stuff like that. So I mean, it's about doing exercises and keeping it kind of bite sized and simple, but uh, at the same time dealing with the problem. Yeah, so one of the things I I was very frustrated when I was learning how to program because everything seemed so arbitrary, like the – or confusing or like everything would explain it as though I knew all the things. Mm. Some – you know, the blog posts would be making assumptions about what I knew or the readmes would be making assumptions about what I knew and and often I was just confused and frustrated – um, a lot of the the things when when you're picking up programming without any formal background, there's at least six years ago there was very little guidance on doing um, doing well. Like programming, 
choosing good names or structuring mm-hmm. your code in a good way or writing unit tests and, and proving that you were that your code was behaving the way you expected it to behave. It was all very like copy stuff from JavaScript websites or PHP websites and kind of mess with it until it works. And that that I found that to be very frustrating, and I uh, got kind of obsessed with the whole XP thing. I read everything I could find about XP and pair programming and TDD and all of those things, and tried to figure out how to make that work um, at, in my environment environment at work. So, so, go ahead, Jared. Go ahead. I was going to say, so the company that you worked at was not doing XP at the time, and and you brought that to the equation, or they were already engaged in it, and you just want to learn more. No, nobody at the company I was working at did any sort of testing or pairing or any of that. Um, we didn't have a continuous integration server. Mm-hmm. We didn't actually have a test environment when I started working there. It was straight to production. So I'm trying to just get an idea of your career arc. Was it from this job to Jumpstart Lab, or has there been things in between? There's been one thing in, in between. So at this at this job, the PHP job, it was a startup. Um, it was very exciting. I stayed there for about two and a half years, almost three years. And I ta- I kind of taught myself how to write tests at that job. So I would write tests for everything I did. I put together a CI server that I just ran locally. And nobody else in the company really cared to run those tests, which was, I guess, fine. I mean, it, I just used it to, um, to help in my own development. But after a while, I got frustrated with that and decided to move to, uh, to a different language and in at least find a company where they cared about testing more than more than they did at the previous company. And this was at the at the time when I was also moving back to Norway where I so I studied genetics in Norway, moved to LA, worked at this startup mm. and then moved back to Norway after 3 years. And in Norway, I went to a Ruby meetup uh, and I guess there were probably 15 people there. The next day, a couple companies called me up and said, hey, you should come talk to us. And so one of those companies hired me on as a developer. Um, and I more or less learned Ruby on the job there. I stayed there for a couple years, two and a half years about. And let's see, from there, I did the talk therapeutic refactoring, which uh, let me travel around and talk to people and meet people at a bunch of conferences and um, I also was kind of done at the company. I love the company I worked at in Norway. They are absolutely amazing. They always come up with great ideas. They're always inventing things like new, right? The latest, their latest project is uh, taking government map data and using it to show on the web 3D maps of Norway. And then you can select a, a square of Norway and um, click and you get sent a 3D printed model of the landscape that you selected, cool. which is awesome. Yeah. And so they're always making up things like that. Um, but I felt like I had kind of done what I, what I had to do there. I had really brought testing in um, to the organization. That was kind of what I was hired to do, and I was ready to move on. And I met Jeff from Jumpstart Lab at a conference, and we talked and eventually, well, he sent me an email saying that I should work for him. Um, and it, <laughs> That's always nice. It's always really nice. You should work so for thought, me. <laughs> well, I have a job now that I really like. <laughs> so uh, I spent, spent some time thinking that over and ended up in Denver. So is Nor- I'd, may I may have missed it. Is Norway home or do you just go over there for school? 
Uh, I've been back and forth all my life. My, my mother is Nor- uh, Norwegian. Okay. Yeah. I understand that uh, earlier this year was you're now in Denver, which we mentioned a bit ago. But so now you're in Denver. This was like I guess January time frame or first part of the year time frame. You came and yep. officially began at Jumpstart and moved. I, I guess you probably don't shorten it to jump, Jumpstart, but so Jumpstart Lab, but. Um, and now you're in Denver, which is a. I was just up in Denver in the summertime, and I love Denver. I think it's beautiful and the mountains, and just like mm-hmm. having that as the backdrop is just amazing for, you know, just the scene. You know. Yeah, yeah, it is an amazing place. The weather here is absolutely amazing. Sun sunshine, except every once in a while, but only for a very short time. It will rain or snow. So. When I was talking to Jared before, you, and you keyed off this a little bit, you mentioned your talk, Therapeutic Refactoring, and kind of the the ramifications, I guess, from that, which is, I guess, more like the results. So you kind of gave this talk that was um, at uh, Cascadia. Was that the first time you gave it, or was this the, least, the, the most recent time you gave it? I gave it at uh, Nordic Ruby in Stockholm. Okay. And they don't record. Bummer. <laughs> Yeah, right? And But there were several people at that conference who organized their own conferences. And among them, Ben Blything of Cascadia Ruby was in the room, and he um, said that I should fly to wherever that was, Seattle, and give it there. And it was recorded by Confreaks. So it ended up both on the confreaks.net or .com website and YouTube from so there. I know that Jared kind of put it off a little bit because I guess somebody – has suggested him to watch, and he's like, ah, I guess I'll watch it whenever. But he watched, and he was really thrilled about it. So I guess talk a little bit about what therapeutic refactoring is. When I was working at this Ruby job in Norway, I felt very stressed out about uh, always having to – there was always this pressure, pressure to ship, and there always is because that's what we do. That's, yeah, that's, the, that's, that's what you the do. whole point, yeah. right? And, um, and I, I felt like I was always in so much of a hurry that I didn't really learn – very much i'd i'd often be throwing code that i wasn't happy with um into the into the repository and i felt like i never had time to go back to it and uh after after one day i just realized that i wanted to spend time just a little bit of time making sure that something was beautiful i didn't care what and so i'd come in really early in the morning before anyone else got to work and spend about an hour just writing tests and and refactoring some tiny piece of code in the project and i did this on a daily basis for quite a long time probably about a year and it transformed how i thought about programming in many ways so it's the first thing was that because i was writing tests and and refactoring for my own pure pleasure, it it bothered me to wait for the test suite to run. So waiting for any any number of seconds, if anything over a second, was very, very frustrating and not pleasurable. And I was there just to to refactor for the pure pleasure of it. So I started looking into how to design my code in such a way that the test suite would be very, very fast and very responsive. And that led me into sort of this this refactoring loop that that had this immediate feedback and um and never uh never really took me out of flow so i i ended up in this flow state for a long time and it was very very pleasurable it felt very therapeutic i felt 
um, smarter in a way. So normally during the day, whenever when all the pressure was on, I basically just felt like an idiot. Like I'm not smart enough <laughs> to do this. Yeah, right. And I think we uh, most of us feel like that. Like I'm, I definitely know there are people who don't, but um, but a lot of us do. It's really hard. And during the, those refactoring sessions, I felt like I understood things and I was on top of things and I kind of lost my sense of self. And it was, it just felt really nice. So I wanted to talk about that. And I had a bunch of like code examples that I wanted to share uh, with people just because it's always so much fun to go show, oh, this is what it looked like before and it was horrible and now it looks awesome. How many times have you given that talk since? Uh, eight maybe. Wow. I'm so giving what... it... A, that's when you know you got a good talk is, you know, first you do it, it's not recorded. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how legends are, are, are made. Did you hear this? Oh, it wasn't recorded. You can't see it. You know, you should have been there. Yeah. And then you record it, you know, on Confreaks and there it's out there in the public for everyone to see and watch and enjoy and spread. And then yet people at other conferences still ask you to come and give that same one, which we can just go to confreaks.com or whatever yeah. website and watch it. And yet, People still want to uh, see it live and see it see it again or yeah. for the first time. So that's that's pretty astounding. I'm actually going to be giving it again in San Francisco on November 1st at really? FlowConf. Yeah, nice. FlowCon. Yeah. So what is it about refactoring that that just you know gets nerds excited, like nerds like us excited? Like, wh- what is it? That feeling, that therapeutic feeling you said that you had. What do you think it is? That, that generates that? I have no idea. It's such a good question. Because I, I mean, we all react that way. Like, I, as you're even talking, I'm thinking about refactoring. I'm like, yes, there, it's kind of like a cleansing feeling. Like you're taking, you know, you, you, you have this dirty code that you wrote and it works and, you know, it's, it's okay. The, the tests pass. The code is functional, right? The, the, maybe the product owner is even happy, but it's not like up to, I don't know what beauty or it's not up to your standards perhaps. And then when yeah. you get a chance to do that, you know, it's almost like you're, you're taking a shower or something, but I'm not sure like what's at the core of that, of that feeling. Well, she but. said, uh, one thing you did say Katrina was flow. And I, I don't know if you're a fan. And I know that you've done some stuff with, uh, I think it was Java ranch you mentioned before. So you must be a fan of Kathy Sierra. And she talks a lot about flow and the state of flow yeah. and, you know, being in that, I mean, you even said things like, I felt smarter. You know, that's, that's study of the yeah. brain. If you go and study that stuff, you definitely are smarter in that, in that moment of time because you're at a state of bliss mentally that, you know, mm-hmm. you're just like the super being of Katrina. You know, that's who you are for those, that hour, that 40 minutes of flow. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. I think another part of it is like, I think. As a group, we tend to enjoy obsessing over details. Yeah. I mean, isn't isn't some of that where uh, the bike shedding and yak shaving all come about so right. frequently? Yeah. You know, the, the more minuscule the details, the more we like to, to think about and, and argue about. Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I know, I know for me... Um, Sometimes when I'm isolated and I can kind of lament a little bit with you on that state of bliss for for the bit there, even if it's even if it may not be super useful when I'm done, like whatever I've just shipped, it might be optimizing one line to be uh, easier to read. And I can imagine how this is going to change three other things I'm working on to make those 
smaller, more readable, more bite-sized, more translatable, whatever the, the reasons are for it, I, I think that that might also be part of the refactoring is like this this constant kind of making things better, even if it's just for yourself. Yeah. So moving from the refactoring over to, to your project, Exorcism, <laughs> it seems like that really is all about, um, I mean, it's about code review. It's really about refactoring, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It totally grew out of this love of obsessing over the details. And that's why I call it nitpicking on the site. Like all the mm. comments are nitpicks. I mean, right. it's, it's not... It's not really bike shedding, even though sometimes it feels like it, yeah. because it, it can be a, a profound discussion about what we value in code and why we value these things. And the discussion becomes really interesting because different people value different things or different things in different contexts. And so, so there's a real breadth in those discussions there. Mm-hmm. So just backing up, can, can you, uh, for the listeners, describe exorcism, you know, what its goals are and, and basically how it works? Sure. So Exorcism is a site where we made up a bunch of exercises in the in the form of a test suite. So a test suite for every exercise. And the goal, the first goal is to, you, you download the exercise, you get this test suite, and the first goal is to make it pass, write production code that will make the test suite pass. And then you submit that code to the website, and you get feedback on uh, the code that you wrote, so names, the choices that you've made uh, for how you've named things, the methods, the classes, if there are many um, variable names, how, which, which, um, which methods from the core library you've, you've chosen or the data structures that you've chosen or how you've chosen to arrange the code. And I've explicitly said on the site that I'm focusing on simplicity and readability and expressive code. But again, those are those are objective. Those are not objective terms. They're very subjective, and so the discussion it often surrounds around or, or becomes something of, well, I find this readable. Um, but more interestingly, there, for example, um, about about naming block variables when you're looping. For example, this idea that well, the collection should probably be named in the plural, and the block ver- variable should be the singular of that plural, rather than saying I have a monkey list and each thing is a monkey. It would be monkeys looping looping through a, a list of monkeys, and then each block variable would be the monkey. But even beyond that, we have some really interesting discussions about. Um, the level of abstraction of the name that you might choose. So if, you're, um, if you have a block variable in an aggregate function, some people will call the block variable hash, like naming it for the underlying data structure. Other people will call it result or memo or accumulator, sort of labeling it based on its role in the calculation. And then other people will name it frequencies or histogram, Naming it for the meaning, the, the, the thing that it represents in terms of the problem, not in terms of the calculation or the computation. And so these, these patterns emerge and these discussions kind of um, by asking, why did you name it this way? What, what are the trade-offs that you're considering? You get a lot of very interesting um, perspectives on what expressive code means or what readable actually means. 
So all of the feedback on the code review is by other users of Exorcism, right? There's not That's like some. Correct. It's not nope. you there, like giving no. everybody feedback. No, you don't have like two geniuses giving feedback. <laughs> it's uh, everybody writes code, and then once you have um, completed an exercise, and you actually decide on your own when you feel like you've completed it, you've had enough feedback, and you're done. You move on. At that point, you uh, gain access to everyone else who is done, who is currently doing that same exercise that you just completed. So you see, you get to see all their code. Yep. And then also the the nitpicks on their code? Yes. Yeah. So the discussion becomes this global thing uh, on a cool. per, per submission basis. Yep. So if I understand you right, so you – well, we jumped a couple steps. you got to get the CLI in place and all that oh, stuff. Oh, right. But, oh, goodness. Um, yeah. There's, <laughs> it's actually really <laughs> confusing. <laughs> Make no mistake. It's, it's Right now the UX is absolutely terrible. Uh, I've hired a designer or I'm talking to a, a design – UX um, company to help me sort that out. So yeah, the first thing you have to do is you have to install a command line uh, client, which is written in Go. And so this um, communicates with an API on the in the web app. Um, and that is to fetch down exercises or submit up exercises. Hmm. Uh, and then once you've submitted it, you actually, all the feedback happens on the site itself. Uh, and that's about it, actually. It's not very complicated once once everything is in place. I think it's that first kind of uh, original kind of ceremony of, like, getting – and I, I was, you know, messing with it last night. Uh, and we'd, we'd actually – so for those of you listening that uh, are subscribed to the newsletter, too, we've, we've, we've plugged exorcism in the, I think, issue eight. But uh, – and I've been meaning to get back to it since then because – Beverly Nelson, who does a lot of work with Ruby Friends and just really is thriving in the area of kind of helping people get plugged into the right kind of resources to learn, I'm always kind of on the lookout for neat tools to kind of suggest to her to check out. So I was just like waiting for a chance to play with it. But, um, I, I, you know, I'd kind of gotten involved and, and even me as – I mean, I wouldn't say I'm seasoned. I'm certainly not brand new, but, you know, even I had a couple stomach blocks, so I would uh, – I'd like to see how that how that pans out for the future, but it was easy to get in place. But so once you get your exercise, let's say you wrap it up and you got no filling tests and you feel good about it, and then you you do um, exorcism. I think is uh, exorcism. What's the ship version of that? Submit. Submit. Okay. So once you submit it and you get some feedback, and then once you finally get to a point where you want to complete that, is that when you get access to nitpicking? Yes. So only so, you can only nitpick the ones you've done, though, right? Right. Okay. That's correct. Okay. That's mm, what I want to clarify. Sense. Yeah. So I actually – this – I mean, this might change. I, currently, I like that. I'd like to provide more guidance on on what good nitpicking might look like, um, which, which key areas it, it is more useful to focus on. Or, or what type of feedback is more helpful? Like I've seen feedback that says, great job. And I'm like, eh. Mm-hmm. Great job how? <laughs> like what do you like about it? There, off, once when someone said great job, I was like, well, here, let me show you how it's done. <laughs> and I was like, I really like these names because this, that, and the other. I love how the separation, um, you know, how the, the tasks are separated into separate methods that really make sense. So I, I, I managed to get like a list of eight things that I liked about that code. Because if you know what someone likes about it, you can go and do it again. But if you just say great job, it's like, well, 
I don't know what was great about it. Was all of it great? Mm-hmm. So is this uh, is the since you're talking about you know how to nitpick is the how to nitpick documentation is that a living document then? It's a living document, uh, and right now it's nowhere near done. Um, it, there, there, are, I keep seeing new things that I want to address, and right now the documentation doesn't seem to be the best place to do that. So I'm going to work with the UX um, people to to figure out how to present that information in a way that's useful and and timely, like getting that information when you actually are trying to nitpick rather than when you decide to go read some documentation. So you're a Ruby developer. You have a a, a command line client written in Go. Yes. Um, I think we can talk about that a little bit. But first, which languages have exercises? So is it just Ruby? Or can are there other no. languages supported? So it started off as just Ruby because I was writing it mainly just to to give it to my students here in uh, Denver, and then one of my colleagues started pointing uh, porting the exercises to JavaScript, and then once I had launched it, uh, someone probably in the second week was like, "We need Elixir and Closure," so they ported it to Elixir and Closure. Nice. And then someone else said, "Well, why don't we have Python?" And it was like, "Because I don't know how to write Python, <laughs> but you're totally welcome to." Yeah. And so I think now we have uh, Closure, Elixir, Ruby, JavaScript, Python, and Haskell. And somebody is porting it to Rust, and I'm working on the Go exercises. And somebody is working on uh, CoffeeScript. A couple days ago, someone said they'd start working on the Scala. And then I heard someone say uh, Objective-C, but that's going to take a little bit more. There's a little bit more ceremony involved in getting that running. So you're going to start writing the Go version and your command lines in Go. Is this a, a, a newfound love for you, a new language? Absolutely. Yeah, I really like it. Um, I'm also going to write part of the part of the API is going to get um, ported over to Go instead of Ruby. Um, I was at a conference uh, half a year ago maybe. Actually, almost a year ago is the first time I saw a talk on Go. And it was at Oradev in Sweden. Um, and the talk was by Andrew Durand, one of the developers who works at Google working on the language Go. And um, I immediately liked it, but didn't do anything about it. Like I, a, a month later, I was busy trying to move to Denver, and then I had a new job and all of that. So I never really got into it. And then I was at a conference in Poland, um, and Andrew gave another talk on Go at that conference. And I was like, okay, now I really have to do it. So I sat down and I went through their tour and I started playing around with things. And I'm still not anywhere near uh, competent, but I can I can get a little bit of stuff done and I can um, I know enough to pester people to help me out. So I, I I'm more able to ask questions. So eventually I'll probably I hope to be fluent by the time the first Go conference here in the states happens. So you don't have to go into great detail, but just at a high level, what is it about Go that, that turned you on? What, what is it that got you? It's, it's very, very – it's a small language, and it's very consistent, and it feels very zen, minimalistic and zen to mm. me. So the way Ruby is more uh, Baroque and Shakespearean and expressive and that you can say things in a thousand different ways and, and they all smell just as nice, um, with Go, it's more like – like a, a very tiny poem, Zen poem. Um, 
very concise, um, and and, and kind every, of just one way to do it, right? There's just one way to do it, and that's kind of a relief after you know when when I do so much Ruby, it's really a, a relief to be on the other end of that scale. Um, I'm I'm very excited about the concurrency model in Go. I'm also very excited about the fact that there's no inheritance. That all it's object oriented, but it's mm. all through composition. So it has this incredible focus on the interface, um, and and th- so the API of your object is very important. And I really like that. I can kind of relate on the there's only one way to do it being attractive. I'm also a Ruby developer and. I've loved the freedom that Ruby, you know, gives us to express ourselves. Um, and then over time, I see actually my tastes in Ruby changing mm-hmm. um, to where something that I used to think was a good way of writing Ruby. Now I look at that and it's it's unattractive or it's it's silly or whatever, whatever reason. And then I start like porting my Ruby over to my new <laughs> my new Ruby style. And I look at my old style like I can't believe I used to write like that. And I'm not talking about... Uh, like readability and stuff. I'm just talking about pure style. Yeah. And uh, that's after a while, that kind of just wears on you. It's like I wish they would just tell me how to write it and like let me think about the problem solving. Yeah. And uh, I know there's use cases for both scenarios, but that is an attractive thought. Although I haven't actually got into to try and go yet. So yeah, I really like both. I I really like both styles or both yeah. this this really you know very varied and and expressive. Uh, craziness that we're we're allowed in mm-hmm. in Ruby and the 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 concise expressive uh like minimalistic approach that we're that we're encouraged to use in go i really i really like both and i think that they can both inform the other i think yeah, when absolutely. rob and uh, and andrew that you mentioned uh that turned you on to go i think it, it was either in somewhere out there on the, on the ether that i've seen this or when they were actually on the show so uh, episode 100 we had that was a fun episode too because it was episode 100 of the show which was great but um had them on the show and i believe it was rob who said because he was you know one of the founding people to create the language was that he wanted it to fit in his head you know like in yeah. memory like it, mm. to, to and you know sometimes when you're i think jared you and i've had some side conversations about you know the state of flow even like going back to some things you said earlier katrina like we're when you're working on something, if you can, you've got a lot going on in your brain. If you get like a text message or a tweet or something that kind of breaks that state of flow, you kind of lose that mental memory. And I think that's kind of what uh, Rob was fighting against when creating the language was to kind of keep it like that as well, to keep it where you can kind of keep what you're doing in your brain a little longer. Yeah. This morning I was pairing with, uh, with someone and they introduced me to a, an enumerable method that I had never seen before in Ruby. And it's awesome. It was exactly yeah. what I needed. But I had totally never seen it. Even though I've read through, I thought, all the enumerable methods, I just had totally missed it. And I've been doing this for, what, three years? I mean, come on. You should have gotten it by now. <laughs> right? Uh, that's funny. But, uh, yeah, I mean... That is the fun th- I think that's kind of the adventurous part of Ruby is that there's so many different ways that you could do things, but I can limit what you're saying, Jerry, where you're like, just tell me how to do it the one way so I can think about the real problem versus the style that I have to execute this in. I can do it 15 ways, but which way is really the right way to do it? And just give me those training wheels. I'll, I'll go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess we we talked about Go a bit here, but... So originally the CLI was written in 
in Ruby, right? So was it something with Ruby that made you change, or was it simply to like want to play with Go to to do it in that? No. So okay. So yes, the original command line in, in a client was written in it was a Ruby gem, so it was gem install uh, exorcism. That worked really well when the only problems were in Ruby. But now you have people only on exorcism mm. for the closure. Ah, and it's sense. really a pain to set up like a, all, the, all the Ruby, like setting up Ruby on your machine is actually quite an ordeal, especially if you don't know Ruby. Um, so with the Go, it's possible to cross-compile for all the different um, operating systems and architectures. And people just have to download and install this one binary and that's it. No dependencies. And so on the on the homepage that you have the, the try it version, the quickie, don't worry about telling us your GitHub, uh, just do it now, I guess, version, will that eventually go away or is that still kind of like or is it is it dead and you just haven't removed it yet? Oh, the one that says Ruby? Yeah, it says it well, was it's on your homepage and it says try it and the instructions say gem install exorcism. You go to attempt directory and you that's- know Totally a mistake. It should be. You, it should. I'm going to fix that after the show. Uh, <laughs> we didn't the, say that. We'll edit that out. <laughs> Pay no attention to that. The, the Go client um, allows you to do that now. Okay. So I will totally fix that. Thank you. Uh, hey, that's. We're here for peer reviews, right? Absolutely. So exorcism uh, seems like it has a really great foundation, but. Uh, and I've, I'm, I'm halfway through the Bob exercise and, and having fun. Uh, seems like this is a kind of a project where you have bigger long-term goals. What are, what are some of your thoughts on the future of exorcism? What you'd like to see more languages, more exercises, more community, or is there, you know, are there changes coming down the road? All of the above. Uh, I'd like better exercises right now. All the exercises that are there were just kind of made up by me while traveling, uh, hoping to keep my students busy for half an hour. Mm. And so some of those exercises are absolutely excellent and have really interesting problems that they expose and really interesting discussions come out of them. Others have terrible design, terrible APIs, really boring discussions. And I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of working on figuring out which exercises are good and which are less interesting so that I can par that down. But I'd also like new exercises that that um, expose different types of problems, perhaps, in the different languages. Like, not all the languages need the same exercises because they have very different um, design constraints and uh, different features that that you should be able to explore in exercises. Um, I'd like more languages. I'd like all the languages, really. Um, (laughs) It seems like there are three, two or three different... um, I'd say three different reasons to use exercise that that people have told me about. Some people say I'm learning how to program and this is the first time that I'm actually getting feedback on the on the code that I write and so I'm learning a lot faster. So it becomes a type of mentorship. And then other people are like, well, I I'm fluent in Java. I just want to figure out how to write closure. Mm-hmm. And so they're using it to try out a new language kind of just for fun and figure out what the idioms are in that language as opposed to the language that they're fluent in. And some people are doing exercises in the language that they use primarily and using it to have really deep discussions about style and trade-offs with other people who use that re- language on a regular basis. And I'm logged into the 
to my homepage now on, on Exorcism, and it looks like I got a zero in the upper right-hand corner. Are there some gaming convention, or gaming aspects that you've either no. started, or is it, what is that zero? Notifications. Ah. <laughs> no All notifications. Right. Sorry. Yeah, again, I'll... I'm going to be talking to uh, UX people to help me clarify all of that. I don't actually want gaming uh, aspects to this. I don't – it's really hard to do to, – to game things well and encourage mm-hmm. the right behavior. And it's so easy to get it wrong and encourage the, like, really arbitrary, wrong, uninteresting behavior and, and, and unhelpful types of competition. So I'm going to – I'm trying to avoid that. I fully agree gotcha. with that. I was actually thinking about – that a bit ago, I just happened to be studying the characteristics of a social network and like my day job, I work um, at Pure Charity, which I guess is kind of one part social network, one part crowdsource funding. I was just thinking about like different things we've talked about and for whatever reason, gaming was on my, you know, the, these gaming things that have been all the rage that and then have kind of trickled off since then. Every time I kind of go into something that, that kind of gives me points, I'm just like, stop that. Yeah, like I just—it's annoying. You know? Don't do yeah. that. I just want to do it. I don't—I don't like that stuff. It drives me crazy. A lot of the research around motivation has uh, so someone did some research with like kindergartners where they said they gave the kindergartners uh, markers so that they could draw and the they would draw things and then they started rewarding them for their drawings, giving them gold stars or or points or whatever, and those kindergartners stopped drawing unless they were given the rewards. Like, they, they started drawing only if they were going to be rewarded for it. Mm. And so it took away that internal drive right. to do something for, for the pleasure of just doing it. That's why and I hate I, money. Right? <laughs> That's why I hate yeah, money, because, I mean, when terrible. you start working only because you want to make the, uh, the Benzies or whatever, you know, it's kind of, it's not cool. Change your perspective. It's, it's even worse on the Internet, where you're, you're basically modifying your own behavior in order to affect... Like the number in somebody's database on a, on some server somewhere across the across the world, you know. Right now it's a twelve. I really want that number to be a thirteen. It's so right. arbitrary and and really valueless um, that I get that. At the same time, uh, sometimes it can be effective. It just you know it is kind of uh, putting it to good use. And I think you're right that there's there's a lot of ways that that's uh, that that can be used and, and end up having. You know, negative effects on your community. Yeah. Let's uh, let's maybe tail end uh, one piece here. I got a question on. I like I like the learning aspect when it comes to something like this. So not just learning with exorcism, but you know your specific learning, Katrina. So you you'd mentioned before we actually started recording yesterday when we we're doing sound check, you, you'd mentioned that we're pretty gen you know we're generally pretty bad at giving feedback, and you kind of want to learn. So that was also one of the parts that kind of. Um, propelled you to do this. So what have you what have you learned about feedback and people giving feedback? So I mentioned a little bit of it earlier. I realized that this this sort of generic, hey, great, thumbs up uh, type of feedback isn't helpful because it's not actionable. It's not specific. Um, it it doesn't give you something that you can use to either repeat it or improve it. So the feedback that I really have liked on exorcism so far has been feedback that is very specific 
about the code that is there right now. I'm looking at this code and I'm seeing that this is repeating over and over. Is there a way to remove this duplication? Or I'm seeing that the same parameter is passed to all of these methods. Perhaps there's, there's a, you know, a second object um, where these methods, that these methods would belong in. So it's looking at the the existing code and being very specific and actionable about the things that you see there rather than um, either just being sort of generically positive, hey, that's great, or um, pushing it in directions based on some future speculative, well, maybe new requirements are coming down the line. Like, we don't know anything about requirements. Let's just look at the code that we have mm. and, and look at um, the, the code smells or whatever that we can identify here and address those. And uh, I was just looking at my notes, too. I also want to glaze over this. I was thinking about your, your counterpart in writing the Go CLI. Use. Uh, I'm not sure how you say his last name, so I don't want to butcher it, but I know his first name is Mike. Mike Gayart, yeah. yeah. He's a, a developer at Pivotal Labs. And uh, so we've been ever since he's, – he's based out of Boulder, which isn't too far from Denver. So he comes down to the office that I work at every once in a while. And we've talked about design and refactoring and pairing and teaching and a bunch of those things. And he's been working on the Cloud Foundry command line client in Go for the past few months. Uh, so he helped me get started with that. Uh, wrote wrote all of the basic things, and then I um, basically ask him for for feedback when I start mucking about with things. Gotcha. And I was just thinking about that because I I knew that you had a counterpart. So. When we talk about exorcism, is it just you? Like, was you, were you the the founder of it, the idea maker? And do you have any counterparts? So is Mike like a longtime partner of this, or will he play no. a, a larger role later on? It was no, it's just me. Um, a lot of people have contributed, so I think over a hundred people have contributed commits on GitHub to the actual web uh, website, and several people have um, committed to the both the Go client and the, the Ruby gem, which is now deprecated. Right. And it's I think it's just people get kind of excited about the idea and spend a few hours doing something. Doing something. That's cool. So uh, we're, we're probably at the point where we ask these common questions. And I'm going to ask an uncommon question today because I like to throw curveballs here and there. But, uh, you know, I think we kind of answered it a little bit. And I'm not going to answer for you. I think you may have already answered, though. But if you weren't uh, writing Ruby, what would you be writing? I would be writing Go. And if you weren't writing Go, what would you be writing? <laughs> Good one. <laughs> no. Uh, Erlang? Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, a throwback to the days of Wynn. When Wynn was on the show, he used to always ask this. And I, I missed this question, which was, I guess, not language-specific, but project-specific, maybe. So... What is out there in open source? Like, what project is out there that you wouldn't mind, like, spending a weekend, you know, forking and tweaking and maybe hacking with, you know? Not like a language, but just a project itself. There there are actually quite a few. I would love to just go to uh, – there's, oh, there's a website that has a list of projects that need help. Oh, really? Yeah. I should look that up. I cannot remember what it's called. Um, code triage, I think. Code triage. Does that sound? Uh, Does that sound doesn't like sound the bell, but if we don't get it in the show, it's okay. We'll put it in the show notes. So if you're listening, you're like, oh, man. 
Okay, uh, I'll find it. CodeTriage.com. Um, I'm hanging out there. It hasn't rendered yet to the browser, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm trying to load it too. Uh, oh yeah, help your like favorite open source projects. Yep. This I think you rung a bell. Yeah, so I would I would just go there and find something that I actually use, uh, and go spend a weekend working on it. Anything in particular that uh, that you may have already earmarked? Um, I like Sinatra. I use Sinatra a lot. And so I would totally love to spend a weekend just messing with Sinatra. I got, I got to imagine, that, yeah, as an instructor trying to get started quickly, it's probably the, the easiest to get started with. Like, it's just one file, right? Yes. So. And it's also very easy to explain. Like, you explain the web, and then you say, yeah, we have get verbs, and we have post verbs. Right. And you have a method mm-hmm. named get and a method named post, and there you are. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm anxious to hear your answer to this next one, which is, who is your programming hero? Sandy Metz. Sandy Metz. Yeah. Sandy Metz has been programming since 1978. Uh, she's been one of those people who just basically stayed in her cave and programmed always until, I don't know, maybe a f- three, four years ago where she went to a conference and was um, caught in a hallway rant about design. <laughs> <laughs> so this publisher from Addison Wesley overheard her ranting in the hallway at some Ruby conference and spent two or three years convincing her to write a book, Yeah, which she did. And so that book, it took her two, week, two years to write. It just got published in September, I think, of last year. And uh, it, it, it's a book that, that really changed how I think about code. And the book she's talking about is uh, practical, practical, yeah. practical object-oriented design in Ruby. Yeah. Big fan of that book. Haven't read it all, but big fan of it. I'm I'm actually graduating up to it. I'm still uh, working through Eloquent Ruby personally, but uh, and then also front of the show, Abdi Grimm. He uh, he's got a new book out, uh, Confident Ruby, which um, is just phenomenal. Or no, yeah. so Confident is is the one from before. No, Confident Ruby is the latest. What was the other one? Because I keep getting them mixed up. Objects on... There was uh, Exceptional Exceptional. Okay, sorry. Objects on Rails. Exceptional Confident. I I love his approach to that, too. So that's pretty neat. Another thing I'll recommend quickly, um, if you don't have the time or not into reading these books, is to let the Ruby Rogues read the books, as as Katrina is on the Ruby Rogues podcast, and then listen to them talk about it for about two hours, and you feel like you've read the book by proxy. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's outstanding. We did an episode with Sandy Metz, and we couldn't all be on there at the same time because six is just too many when we also have a guest. So I set out that one because they were all such fanboys and totally wanted to be on the show and and fought to stay on. Uh, for well, that was the, pretty gracious of you, considering she's your programming hero, you, and you she, set out. Well, I I I've stalked her in real life, so I've actually there met you go. her. Oh, um, Avdi's confident Ruby is going to be our uh, our book club book tomorrow when we record. Nice. So that that's also coming out soon. Yeah. Uh, if you're uh, on that same note, we're working with uh, working on partnering with Avdi to provide that to our members so the change the change log is uh you know part sponsored part member based or part member supported but uh we have this section which is called members benefits which when we partner with people like DigitalOcean and avdi and a bunch of other learning and developer resources uh we, we just work to get you a little bit of a discount to it and uh 
So keep an eye out for that. We're working with, with Avdi on that. So I'm, I'm a fan of the book, but I think it's kind of neat just to kind of tie off on, uh, on Sandy, just to what she says there. She says, if your code is killing you and the joy is gone, Potter has a cure. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it, right? Potter? Pooter. Pooter. Okay. Yeah. Of course I'd get it wrong. Quite the name. <laughs> it's, yeah, right? It's uh, poot, poot, on pooter.info. I think if you, uh, and I'm not even sure. Pooter.info is, is the website, though. Pooter.com. Pooter.com. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. No worries at all. But uh, yeah, I mean, Katrina, it was great having you on the show. I mean, I think that uh, it was j- just kind of hearing your enthusiasm for refactoring and flow kind of just made me smile quite a bit during the show for sure. I don't know about you, Jerry, but I was smiling quite a bit during the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a shame we don't actually do these with our faces showing to the world, like, you know, like uh, YouTube Live or whatever that thing is called, But because uh, this is a fun show. But um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the show. Is there anything else you want to riff on real quick before we close out? No, I think I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, it's it's been an honor to have you on the show. I know that uh, Jerry was a fan of yours with that talk that we'd mentioned during the show, and, and I'm uh, becoming more and more of a fan slash stalker, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, um, yeah, that's for sure. But definitely thank you for what you're doing with Exorcism. Keep in touch, too. Like, whatever's changing, whatever's happening, get back with us as um, – as you have time, I know you're really busy, but we'd love to help you keep um, this in front of the of the people who are wanting to, to do a lot of this. So whatever updates we can help you mention, we definitely want to do that, but uh, for sure. And uh, I also want to thank our sponsor for the show, DigitalOcean. As I mentioned, we've uh, been working with DigitalOcean for quite a while. We're working with them over the next few months to, to kind of help um, and just help them spread the news to the developer community about some of the awesome um, things that they're working on, ways they're, ways they're supporting the community. And one really unique thing, if you're uh, really any developer out there, whether you have an open source project or something that is specific to a server or whatnot, they are paying 50 bucks to write tutorials, basically. I'll put a link in the show notes, but you know some examples can actually be used on DigitalOcean or just how to use your open source software. So uh, one example was how to install WordPress on a LAMP stack on Ubuntu, which... I have no idea how to buy it verbatim, so I kind of go back to a, a guide every time. And somebody got paid to write that article and make it really great. Um, everything from we mentioned Ghost and their uh, and their support of Ghost. So there's uh, a how-to article on on uh, Ghost and the one-click install app they have for DigitalOcean. And we've talked about Docker quite a bit. We had Solomon Hikes on the show quite a uh, quite a few back. But uh, if you're a fan of Docker and you still want to play with it, even though it's not completely stable yet. You, they have a Docker application you can play with. It just makes it really, really easy. And as I understand it too, Katrina, they, they do some pretty neat support with you guys for um, Jumpstart Lab. They gave us 100 instances that we can use as we wish, any size. They're very generous with us. Very generous. And I think that's one part of why they've made some inroads into the community. So one thing I've heard, and this is kind of elongated just because I really just absolutely love DigitalOcean, but... Um, is I've just heard people say, well, they're they're not that expensive, so how can they be good? Well, don't let the price fool you. They just really want your business because they want to show you how awesome they are. Um, if you're the kind of person, too, that likes to decorate your laptop, uh, you can send an email to barry at digitalocean.com. Uh, he's going to just tell him your, your uh, shipping address, and he's going to ship you some DigitalOcean stickers. But I've got a couple links in the show notes I'll put there for you. Uh, and I also want to plug the coupon code, the promo code we have, which is the changelog October. 
Um, and if you use that when you sign up, you'll save $10. Uh, but uh, that's it for the show. Check out DigitalOcean at DigitalOcean.com. Katrina, what's, uh, what's your website? It's Katrina.com, K-Y-T-R-I-N-Y-X.com. Wow, awesome. And we want to thank you once again for coming on the show, and thank you for listeners to uh, for listening. And Jared, thank you for uh, being awesome on the show as well. So let's, let's all say goodbye. See ya. Bye-bye.